I want the people to be more familiar with uh, that cuisine because it's a beautiful cuisine and it's a healthy cuisine and I feel like in the United States, um, depending where you are, people don't know how to eat that well. So, <laughs> Shout out. Shots taken. Gonna roll this entire interview. What? You're listening to the Taste Podcast. I'm editor in chief Matt Rodbard here with senior editor Anna Hiesel. On today's show, we have Ori Menasha and Genevieve Gurgis, owners of two of the buzziest and most influential restaurants in Los Angeles, Bestia and Bavel. They're also the authors of the new Bestia cookbook. Later on the show, we'll be talking to Deb Perlman from Smitten Kitchen, and she will be answering a question from Reader. By the way, if you have questions for us, leave them in the comments on Apple Podcasts, and we will answer them. But Matt, what did you and Ori and Genevieve talk about when you hung out in L.A.? Ori, what a dude. Genevieve as well. They're cool together. What a cool conversation we had in L.A. in their restaurant. Ori tells me about his time in the Israeli army and how it informed the way he runs his kitchen at Bessie and Bavel. It's a cool story. The thing I hear about over and over again is the bread at Bavel. I haven't had it, but people go crazy for the bread. Yeah, for sure. That bread is really good. Also, what's really good is this massive fireplace in the center of the restaurant. We talk about what smoke and heat does to his cooking and how it injects umami into these dishes, which was really interesting. We don't really talk about smoking heat and umami being uh, interlaced. Uh, he makes a really strong statement about that. It's fascinating, Anna. Here's Matt talking to Ori and Genevieve. Ori Manasha, Genevieve Gurgis, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. I want to hear about a couple things. But first, Ori, you said a, a, a quote in 2014, I am a workaholic. I am also a familyaholic. Is that still the case after opening a second restaurant? Yeah, it is the, still the case. I mean, I, I'm a workaholic, but right now I'm focused on work, obviously, because we just opened the new restaurant, so it's difficult for me to to give uh, more of my time um, at home, but I'm in the progress of figuring out how to do that. Process. Genevieve, what do you think about that? What did I say? Progress. Progress. <laughs> progress of getting to that point. that correct? Yeah. Yeah? If you're, you're getting... Israeli, then it's correct. <laughs> if you're American, probably not. Probably not. I love the way that you guys are interacting. It's so great. I think it's like clearly you have a, a really tight relationship, right? You're very like you do you do everything together. Is that right? Or do you have like your own moments where you're separate? We have our own moments, of course. Like I think, which is healthy. But we are together. I think more than the average couple, for sure. For sure. I mean, any spare time we have because we work so much is together. I mean, like, how do you relax, the two of you, when, you're not, when you have these two restaurants and, and children? Uh, my, my thing is uh, massage once a week. Huh. It's going to be an hour and a half to two hour massage. Or uh, a jog. Every work day, I go jogging in the morning, and it will be between five to eight miles. Just a kind of uh, de-stress from what is going to happen later in the day. Yeah, what are you listening to? What music? Uh, heavy metal. Listen to Corn, System of a Down, 
Deftones, oh. Nine Inch Nails, Tool. Genevieve, you're making a face. <laughs> oh, I want to describe it as the finger in the throat gagging kind of pantomime. I think that's what you're doing. I guess so. What's your issue with System of a Down? Oh, no. <laughs> it's too loud for her. No, it's just, what is it? She played classical music. I don't even know she, what it she is. She played professionally yeah. uh, classical music uh, oh, I uh, most, mo- most of her life. So. But I like, I do like a, light, a large variety of music, just not that. He, he likes all that, smashing pumpkins, stuff. To, I just, no. Just can't. Okay, so shout out your your your, your artist. Anything <laughs> else but that. You like uh, Kaleo, right? Kale- uh, Kaleo, Kaleo from Iceland. I mean, yeah. I like uh, old stuff. I like, I mean, Led Zeppelin and Bob Dylan and I like that too. All those yeah. things too, and um, CCR because who doesn't? And then I do listen to like the Black Keys or like he said, um, and. Uh, and but I'm even, I mean I like old school. I like older rap like Biggie, Tupac, oh, doesn't Snoop Dogg. But I just can't. I'm not really good with um, pop, like modern pop. Like um, I guess you would say like all those things. I don't even know them. But I just know like yeah. from they're singing the news maybe like Selena Gomez or whatever. Yeah. I can't. Stand I'm going to guess Lena Gomez has been to your restaurant. I'm just going to say, like, she's probably been That's here. really mean, then, that I said that. <laughs> I mean, guys, like, this restaurant, both of your restaurants I attract all of these people know. you're throwing shade at. Just saying that. That's terrible. I'm joking. I mean, you don't well, have... Well, know that my husband will listen to it, so there's uh, there's that console, uh, consolation. I'm just saying that it's just not my style. Okay. Ori, I wanted to talk to you about uh, serving in the Israeli army and how that informed your career path as a chef. I mean, did, did you take a lot from that experience into, you know, choosing this profession? Were you cooking in the army at all? I mean, for me, uh, the army was good of, uh, for how I structure things in the kitchen and uh, creating that discipline. Um, so... I think in that way it helped me a lot with my career. Uh, other than that, I mean, the army pulled me out of being uh, a troubled uh, kid. Is that right? Oh, for sure. You needed you needed like the shit kicked out of you a little bit. Hundred percent, because my parents weren't able to do it. Ah, where did you grow up? Uh, in Ramat Hasharon, uh, in Israel. Is that a mashav? Is that a? a uh, it's between Herzliya and Tel Aviv. Oh, okay, okay. Um, what were you doing in the army? What was your? Like- I had a couple different jobs. Um, I don't know if you know the term uh, jobnik. Jobnik is someone that's not uh, not uh, uh, not in uh, combat. And I wasn't in combat because of uh, my profile being lower because of uh, asthma. Oh right. Yep. Uh, so I was in the police academy in the beginning, and then. Uh, after that, I was in uh, near near Tel Aviv in a base that was pretty like simple. Um, that that was the base that would send all the new soldiers into their different mm-hmm. jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did my rest of my career there. Mm-hmm. Two years, uh, three years. Oh, three years! Wow. And then you got out of the army, and what was the next step for you? 
Uh, then I moved here. Yeah. Uh, I made some money and I went on a trip to South America. So I was mm. in Brazil, uh, Chile, and Argentina. Traveled there for 11 months, partied there for 11 months. <laughs> Then came back here and decided that I wanted to go into culinary. Went to culinary school mm -hmm. for uh, two months. Didn't really like uh, what I saw there. It was just too slow and I wanted like more action. So left school and then started working in kitchens and then just progressed really quickly. And was that like a natural fit for you? Did you feel like um, the kitchen life really fit your personality? I mean, your, yeah, your skills. I, I, when I started in the kitchen, I really enjoyed, like, the party life after service. Sure. So everyone after a stressful day has to go and drink. So that's what we would do. And I liked that lifestyle at mm -hmm. the time. Um, and I liked the structure and mm -hmm. I liked the discipline. Yeah. And I enjoyed the creative uh, part of it because uh, my whole life I felt like I was creative. I just didn't know how to like... What the outlet was. Exactly. Genevieve, I want to ask you, Bestia, uh, the rise of Bestia really predates this like idea that L.A. is the greatest food city in America, which I have said multiple times in the Taste Podcast and I love your city not living Thank here. Thank you. I mean, what, how do you feel about that statement? Because I feel like it's a fair statement, but, you know, it's, there's been a lot of great restaurants here. So uh, do you feel like you started something that has been kind of helping a lot of these? Do you, I mean, you have former employees who've, who've moved on to better things and bigger things. I mean, I don't know if, you know, it's hard from an insider looking out to say what you do. I mean, we just kind of do our thing. But I think that or I hope that maybe some of the menu items especially that my husband put on like gizzards and bone marrow and all those things made chefs that loved those items and knew how to cook those items it felt like they weren't for the public or they would lose money on them that we did okay with them feel mm -hmm. comfortable to allow themselves to do the things they wanted to do a little more because they realized that LA that the consumer in LA actually was okay with those items because remember like for a long time I'd go to an Italian restaurant it'd be like fettuccine with like a chicken breast a grilled chicken breast off it was so weird yeah <laughs> and I don't really think any chef wants to make that and I think that they were like whoa Bestia is selling these items and doing really well and I love to do things like this and I I am excited to try to see if my because, you know, the people that come to my restaurant will eat this, too. Mm -hmm. And I really think, in all honesty, it's the customers that allowed Los Angeles to become a great city. And not many the of those chefs. customers were also chefs, though. Like, I feel yeah. like Bestia was the place where when a I was A lot of chefs here, did come in. Yeah, and that's cool. But like, that also, was, mm -hmm. it allowed, uh, I think, the customers ready. And I think that that actually has to do with the big immigrant population of people recognizing that their food is not just some weird foreign thing, but actually really delicious and starting to go to these places and eat menudo and, and like not just the people from there, but outside. diners from like orange County. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's actually, I would like to give this moment to the LA diner for having an open mind. And allowing chefs like us to do what we want to do. Jonathan Gold as well. 
Jonathan Gold was huge in that. I was thinking him, but it's sad for me to talk about him because I really, I care for him as a, him and his family a lot. They're not just, he's not just a food critic, but he's a, a, him and his family, all of them are incredible human beings. So it's hard for me to talk about them, but yes, he views people and everything in their culture is important and not just you know fine dining like tasting menu is what's important and and it open and he is huge in opening up that whole world to allow a, a consumers to go i'm gonna try that to like the print subscribers in orange county not just the the blog or yeah audio. not just the chefs because we did have a lot of chefs yeah. and we continue to but also chefs friends and people who you know want to try something new and say tonight I'm going to be open-minded why not and so speaking of that I'm, we're in your restaurant and I'm seeing um, literally 50 pounds of lamb necks being broken down for service and that's like probably one of several boxes I mean that, that lamb neck shawarma it's more, it's more than 50 pounds. no I mean that, I mean he's I'm, we're looking at this gentleman who's yeah, working very hard that's a hundred how many cases do you have here lamb neck how much? Five, so five, and it's 25 pounds each? 50 pounds, so we're at 250 pounds of lamb necks, but that's gonna be good for probably two and a half to three days. Okay, whoa, that's not that many days. Yeah, so. <laughs> and that's for your lamb neck shawarma. Yeah. Dope, like I love the idea of using the lamb neck as not just like in a braise and like a soup, but in this like shawarma what's this dish all about why is it your pop one of your most popular dishes um i think what uh what people enjoy uh, about it is kind of like uh eating it all together and not needing to use any utensils for it so you just like grab the lafa and you take a chunk from the lamb neck and you add all the different spreads to it so it creates like a nice uh cool experience of like sharing something and easing, uh, eating it in like a peasant way. Um, but to me, like using the lamb neck is very important just because it's an off cut of the animal. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm using things that uh, I don't know if would go to waste because they would use it. The some market way or for another, lamb necks has increased it, a little bit. It, yeah, but that's because of Bestia in this place. <laughs> You're keeping the prices higher? Uh, no, I don't allow my vendors to do that. Anytime oh. they, like, jump with the price, I'm like, I buy too much. You got to, like, drop the yeah. price because if not, we're, I'm going to move to a different. Are you buying them from Colorado? We got it from Colorado. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're great products. And um, I wanted to know, like, you know, when you're, you're, you're switching this menu seasonally, and we're right now, it's winter, and that's a challenging month. Right, our season, because um, a lot of the products are not in, like, full form, right? How do you negotiate the seasonality? They, they are in full form. It just changes depending on how much it rains or how cold it is. So you might get lettuce that's a little bit more fibrous because it needs to grow in a colder environment. So it has more of, like, a texture to it. a warmer environment. No. Warmer? No. You said colder. Colder. Lettuce grows in colder environments? When it grows in a colder environment, the lettuce is actually harsher. Softer? Harsher. Texture of it is harsher. 
That's why you have a lot of bitter greens and lettuces that oh, are a yeah. little bit thicker in the winter. Um, so they're, they have less water in them. Uh, they, they almost are a little bit fibrous. Fibrous, yeah. Uh, so you need to adjust with your vinaigrettes or uh, fruit that uh, gets uh, overripe because it's too cold. Persimmons, when it's too cold, they get really soft. And you had an uh, issue this morning when you got, saw your persimmons. They were too soft, you said. Too soft. So I subbed it with uh, Asian pears and then a couple different herbs. We tasted it, and we love it. Yeah. So there's always adjusting around this season. Let's talk about Bestia, the cookbook. You probably had a lot of folks knocking on your door to write a cookbook, but you took some time, right? And my question is, is why is this cookbook so unique, and why did it take a little bit of extra time to, to publish it? Um, I feel like after a year or two of having restaurant open, you don't really have enough um, um, to put on in, in a book because you didn't develop enough recipes. So we wanted to have all the recipes in the book of dishes that we had on the menu at some uh, point in time. Uh, so after five years, I feel like we had enough content to put in the book, so it was the right time. Genevieve, what was the process like of writing the book? What was the process? I mean, was it like to, to narrow down the recipes? Because you, your bestie was switching recipes quite often. I mean, we try to do a mix of everything. I think that we we try to just pick things that... I mean, when we went through it, we had like a huge amount that we had to narrow down. And then we just picked try to pick a well-rounded amount uh, you know you try to pick through and it's well round like when you do a playlist yeah 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 you know you don't you try to when you have a playlist and you want to be say like everyone to enjoy the party yeah you try to edit it that you have a little of everything and maybe something a little more eclectic that people haven't heard and then things that people like that party song that everyone dance you know loves and so that's kind of how we did it, like a playlist. You would you pick some of the greatest hits or things that are very or people order a lot of, it and some things that you just really personally love that are really delicious to you that are personal favorites or um, some and, things that are and the combination of uh, dishes that are more difficult to like medium to easier because you don't want to have a book yeah. that's full of difficult. That was my question. Are people cooking from it? Are you getting like hit up on Instagram? And oh, seeing? for sure. That's awesome. What are people making? What are some of the dishes? A ton of the salads from my chapters and oh, uh, so you're taking a little ownership there. I see. Yes. Your <laughs> A ton of uh, desserts as well, but uh, from my portion of the book, uh, a lot of salads and uh, a lot of the entrees. I think people are are tending to not try to deal with the pastas as much because there's a lot of steps. Yeah, there. it's fresh pasta, right? I mean, it's a fresh, fresh pasta. pasta. I mean, that's that's always. I have no idea because I don't have Instagram or Facebook. I don't. I'm not on social media at all. People are into your wedding cookies. Oh, cool. Poppy yeah. seed cake. Oh. Chocolate budino. Nice to know. Yeah, yeah. And um, and your I, ice creams. I know some pear tart. I saw a couple of pear oh, tarts. Oh, pear, pear tarts. Over the holidays and the crostata I saw over the oh. holidays. <clears throat> from people showing me from their phone, from them being on social media and finding it. Are you happy that you're off social? Yeah, I, I never really was on it. And then I got on Instagram and it becomes like a thing where I, instead of waking up in the morning and like 
um, playing with my daughter and like being really like with her and like, or just relaxing and like, um, and seeing what's going on for the day, I would just scroll. And then you, oh, I'll just scroll a little more. And then all of a sudden you're like, at the end of scrolling, you're like, whoa, I don't even know what I got out of this. Empty calories for sure. It's definitely like drinking a giant big gulp of Coke. It didn't do anything. Maybe it made you temporarily happy, yeah. but it didn't actually add to your life. It's a I se- mean, I look at it, but it's work-related. Yeah, he does. He's able to, I guess, I mean, I don't watch him on Instagram, so I'm assuming. If it's my day off, I could see if someone plated the dish properly. That's, I mean, for, for a and chef. Then, and then they get a phone call in the kitchen. I'm like, there's too much oil on that. Oh, dish. yeah? You do that. I mean, you have to. You look at the story, so it's like live, like one hour ago, two hour ago, three hours Yeah, he ago. tells me if he sees something off with my stuff for me. So yeah, that's how so I'll know, but I don't actually see it. I'm like a cop at home checking all the photos. That's great. It's actually true. It's really bad. I gotta stop. It's an obsession. You work the line most nights. I work the line. Yeah, and that's something that's not gonna change. It's important to you. Um, I enjoy it because uh, my cooks are able to copy my movements, so I could tell someone how to do something versus show someone how to do something. I feel like that's the proper way to train a cook to cook exactly the way I like uh, them to cook. Um, I don't know. We'll see how long my body is going to be able to ha- to endure. Keep the... running those those laps to blow yeah. steam. Yeah, we'll see. Tell me this: the fireplace, the 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 hearth is such a fundamental part of your restaurant, Bavel. We're at Bavel. Tell me, was that difficult to get permitted, and how important is that to your restaurant? In your words, it's actually very easy to get permitted. Uh, your friends in New York are going to be really sad to hear that because getting that oh, is impossible really? in New York. I, I don't think it's because of the size of the hearth or it being a hearth. I think in New York it's very difficult to get permits for wood-fired grills. It's just how old old buildings anything. are made. You just uh, but us being yeah. in downtown, we don't have those issues. There's not that many people that are living around us. But also that. the way the building is newer, and um, I mean this building's not old, but not new, new per se. But it doesn't. It's a little. The structure is a little different from those really old New York buildings. And I think that that's probably why they just, in order to do it, you would have to probably be in a newer building or have building at a certain code, yeah. which this one was. I see. So it was and already- the, how far the hood needs to go. Because this is a two-story two building, it's not a problem. But if you have something that's more than that, it's a little bit more difficult. A six-story building, you can't do it because yeah. the fire gets caught in the what. Yeah, and, and the whole building will, the whole building will go up. Yeah, will go exactly. up. Yeah. So tell me, like, when you were building this restaurant, was the hearth the was that super key to making your second restaurant what it is? Yeah, I mean, uh, many things that we have on the menu, uh, we apply smoke yeah. to to that product. Uh, so that was a big thing for me. I feel like uh, cooking on on coals or wood uh, just makes something from being uh, good to great. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, because that's how we used to eat. We were kind of attracted to that smoky flavor. Uh, Adds a nice amount of umami. And uh, in Middle Eastern food, there's not that much uh, umami that you could add into a dish, like, uh, you know, like fish sauce and anchovies and all of that stuff. It's more like spice-related. And you could develop layers to get that umami, but... 
Added smoke is uh, something that we uh, work on with most of our dishes. You mentioned Middle Eastern cuisine. Uh, you know, we've had uh, Yodam on the podcast. We've had Mike Salmanov and yourself. Now we've got three individuals who've really raised the profile of Israeli cooking in, in America. I mean, are you, are you hopeful that there'll be more Israeli restaurants in America? Are you seeing, you know, there's other names too. I'm forgetting, but those are just three we had in our pockets. Yeah, Alon, Alon Shaya. Oh, we had Alon on ours too. So we had him as well. So we had four. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. I want uh, people to be more familiar with uh, that cuisine because it's a beautiful cuisine and it's, uh, it's a healthy cuisine. And I feel like uh, in the United States... Um, Depending where you are, people don't know how to eat that well, so. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> Shots taken. I was on a roll this entire interview. What? You don't, <laughs> wait, you don't agree with me? Yeah, I mean, true, but I try not <laughs> to judge. I mean, t- getting good tahini is difficult in, if you're in, like, Madison, Wisconsin, right? Like, it's a fundamental product. Or is that, am I wrong? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm just... I'm talking more about like a Mediterranean uh, diet that's a little bit healthier. I see what you're saying. Okay. Interesting. And Middle Eastern, because this restaurant is actually not Israeli. It's Middle Eastern. So I think what he meant is Middle Eastern cuisine, like Mediterranean, they're right next to each other. I mean, if you think about it, when you're in Morocco, you could take in, what, a half an hour, 45-minute boat ride to Spain. So it's right next to each other. That whole like... Um, heavy on the vegetables and the whole grains and the olive oil and um, and spices and things that, rather than just heavy cream and mm-hmm. butter um, is um, it's just better for your body It's so I think that it's just easier on your body and um, I mean we're not back in 200 years ago where people had meat and potatoes diet because you had food rations right right and when you stick to a diet that is a very old way of eating because of literal lack of food, um, you don't need, you know, we get stuck with that culture, in my opinion. I, I feel like that's what happened of that meat and potatoes diet of when there would be famine or nothing or nothing growing. And so, or access to areas that, you know, no access to areas that had those things growing. And, um, now we do, so I think that makes it possible for people to let go of that a little bit and um, venture into more healthier eating yeah. habits. Great point. I want to hear about some of your, 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 your favorite L.A. spots, you know, that you want to... We've been in L.A. for a few days meeting with a bunch of chefs. So what yeah, do you, one, of them, one of my favorites is outside of L.A., or two of my favorites. Yeah, I'll start shout it, it out. I love Taco Maria. That's in Costa mm-hmm. Mesa, so close enough. Can't we just call it that? Totally, totally. uh, I consider that LA. On the way back, I don't consider it LA anymore because it's an hour drive. Because while we're driving, we're like, this is not LA. But it's worth it. We we make that drive once a month. It's amazing. So we love Taco Maria. Um, I love it's again not in LA. I guess LA County, Manhattan Beach. I love fishing with dynamite from um, David. I can never pronounce his last name. Could somebody pronounce it for me? David Lefebvre. Lefebvre. Is that it? I thought so. Is Lefebvre? Lefebvre is like the non-French way of saying it. David Lefebvre. Lefebvre. I have no idea how to say his last name. We made him French. He might be. 
I don't think so. He might be French Canadian. Yeah. Maybe. It's halfway there. Oh, man. Uh, we we just, love, I just offended Canada. Shit. We love, so we're all offending people at this point <laughs> in this podcast. We love uh, Hatchet Hall. Oh, yeah? I don't know it. Uh, Brian Dunsmore is the chef there. It's like southern cuisine with like uh, California product. Very good. Uh, we love... Lots of sushi. Um, lots of sushi. Um, Too many to name. We'll yeah. go to like five or six yeah. sushi spots. Uh, broken Spanish for great Mexican food. Ray Garcia is It's like Mexican L.A. There. Yeah, you know there. food. Uh, what else do we like? We like a lot of things, yeah, but then when you're like put on the spot, it's hard to remember. But those are those are the ones that we. This is your rotation. We, yeah, we, we, we go there again and again. Come on, Jen, Jen Sushi. No, but who else? Sushi Jen, shout out. Yeah, I, so good. I know. Uh, sushi Park. Yeah. Yeah, Sushi Jen, Sushi Park. Um, there's a new one we like in Little Tokyo that we discovered. Uh, Cassia in uh, Santa Monica. Uh, oh, Rustic de- Canyon. Yeah. Definitely Rustic Monica. Canyon. Oh, um, Best Burgers, Cassell's. Oh, wait, I stay at Hotel Normandy when I'm in LA. Oh, so my God. Good. Just for it's that. So good. so good. So good. And the breakfast is dope, too. Yeah, all the yeah. menu's good. Yeah, yeah it's a good. The place. Patty melt is delicious. Yeah. The fries are good. The coleslaw, their wedge salad is delicious. Cassell's definitely, definitely once a month. <laughs> I yeah. love to go to Casals. Yeah, is that on the way home? Uh, no, you... I go out of my way. You know, <laughs> women have their needs. Yeah, <laughs> uh, here's looking at you. Yeah, in Koreatown. It's oh yeah, we as love well. here's looking at you. Oh my God, he has a great brunch. Actually, speaking of brunches, he has an amazing waffle. It's like a new mommy, like oh. sour sweet waffle. It's so good. His waffle's delicious. We would go there more, I think, uh, because it's a little bit smaller. Our daughter gets, like, agitated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She just likes she, to run around and wreck the place. She can't, like, sit down. Where at Broken Spanish, there's more space, so she's able to, she like, run to the kitchen and back, oh. and we just let her do it. Um, Bad parenting. No, she'll, like, be, uh, she'll be working. It's better than giving the cell phone. That's true. And we do give the cell phone. You, you, you know, uh, actually, that's the last actually, resort. Actually, before we had a child, I would look at parents and I would be like, these parents are horrible. How do they give their kids... Like iPads and cell phones. I, for the whole meal. And horrible. I'd be like, this is insane. I'm like, these people should not be and, parents. And now we do the same thing. <laughs> now I'm same like, give me the iPhone uh, immediately. Yeah. Yeah, now we do What do you mean you're running out of battery? Oh, my God. <laughs> Do we? Have, where's our charger? Excuse me, do you have a charger? You know, it's terrible. Ori and Genevieve, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Here's Anna speaking with Deb Perlman. Deb, we have a reader question, and um, it involves the game F Mary Kill. Have you played this game before? Perhaps. Not, like, sober in a podcast studio. But. Here's the question. Here's the question. F. Mary Kill, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, York Peppermint Patties, and Kit Kat Bars. Definitely. Okay, I love York Peppermint Patties, and I know they're very divisive, so I'm going to have to say F them. 
marry Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. They are like to me the, just the finest, the they would finest be a of great candies. Lifelong partner. And I actually like am not that into Kit Kats. I know there is so many flavors and there are so many ways to love a Kit Kat. But the strangest thing is, I love all those wafer candies. Like you know those grandma cookies with like yeah. the wafers and the um, hazelnut cream and the lemon cream. I love those cookies. Like I just the artificial don't artificial pink ones that are strawberry flavor. Okay, okay, but like there's also some like nice Italian imported ones, like with like you know little chocolate hazelnut paste thing. I mean, I just I love those kinds of wafer things. I just don't feel like the Kit Kat is the best example of them. Have you tried any of the offshoot flavors, like any of the Japanese flavors? I have Wasabi, tried matcha. I think I tried the matcha. I didn't really get the matcha from it, but I probably should have like cleansed my palate first because it's a very subtle flavor. I mean, anyway. there are hundreds of flavors. There's I mean, many. I dig the texture. I just feel like there's better out there with wafery candy bars. And Reese's peanut butter cups. It's hard to go wrong. I mean, let's them. let's let's make sure that we keep what's important in this conversation. <laughs> Thanks, Deb. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Anna Hiesel. The show is produced by Gabrielle Lewis, studio recordings by Pat Stango, theme music by Steve Rydell. Interviews are recorded live at Books Are Magic in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn, and at Penguin Random House Studios in Manhattan. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>